0: Amy, do you want to come read the Bible for us? That'd be great. We're going to continue in our series in Philippians, in chapter two.
1: Um, today I'm reading from Philippians two, um, chapters. Oh, sorry, verses one to eight. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even dying on a cross. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Amy. Let's take a moment to uh, just to pray and to quiet our hearts before the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word, your written word, so easily and readily accessible to us. May we not take for granted um, these words before us and how you want to speak to us through them by your Holy Spirit this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and uh, may this be our focus this morning. Your very heart and your work in our lives, that we may be transformed by your love. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this passage that we've just read from Philippians 2, there's nothing overly complicated uh, about it, and uh, in the rest of uh, this chapter, for that matter, we're not going to read every chapter each week, but we we'll do a, a chapter a week um, in Philippians through this month. Um, this chapter is about value others above yourselves, lay your life down for others, follow the example of Christ in this, um, and that message keeps running through chapter 2. Uh, to just step back a second, uh, last week in chapter 1, we saw that Paul and his brothers and sisters... In Philippi, that for them, their love for God, their love for each other, and their embrace of the mission of God to love the lost—these were, <coughs> excuse me, these three great loves—that are intertwined. They're inseparable. Not three things to be kept in balance, but they go together, hand in hand. One spurs the other on. Um, this, of course, isn't an easy road, um, but it's well, but one of the fruits of this life with God. And with each other and on mission is great joy. We uh, become, as Paul puts it in chapter one, partners in the gospel. And in that partnering, we share in a profound kind of joy that comes in this gospel community, this being in relationship with God, each other and the lost. Um, So we we are um, in this partnership of joy. Chapter 2 gets right at the heart of this life in Christian community, this partnership with each other and with God. And again, there's nothing too complicated about it, what we read in Chapter 2. Uh, value others above yourselves. Have the mindset of Christ who, who, who gave his life for others. Uh, um, to give a few more examples, later in the chapter, we didn't read it this morning, but we, if, if you kept reading, you'd read about Timothy and Epaphroditus um, who Paul uses as examples. He talks about them as, as great um, ordinary examples of Christ-like love and humility. So I'll, just, I'll show you a few bits. Um, Epaphroditus, who, who the Philippians sent to care for Paul, Paul says this about him. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. So this, this man is, is, isn't concerned with himself. Uh, his concern is only for his brother's and sisters. And this is an example of that humility Paul's looking for and talking about. And of Timothy, Paul says this Everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. In other words, Timothy has become like family to those who God's placed him with. And this is to, to treat others as family is this selfless humble love Paul's talking about. So these are human examples of love and humility that Paul points to, not to mention, of course, Christ himself, who didn't use his status and privilege, but instead became a servant. So the message of this chapter, chapter 2 of Philippians, is serve and treat others as greater than yourself. Care about their needs more than your own. Give your life up for others in every way. Be selfless. Treat each other as family And one of the scriptures is, do everything without grumbling or arguing, verse 14. So this is what it's all about, chapter 2. The good news, as I said, it's not complicated. It's not difficult to understand. There's no question about whether this is the true way a Christian should live or whether it leads to human flourishing. Clearly, it does lead to human flourishing to live this way. But understanding it's not the challenge, right? To do it, to live out this selfless, self-giving kind of humility and love, to put it into practice is the challenge, especially when it feels like pain sometimes, not joy. Can we be honest? to to give ourselves up for others, to be completely humble and to to do everything without grumbling or arguing, to live with the mind of Christ, it's not easy. It can feel like sacrifice. It feels painful. If Christ-like, humble, selfless, servant life felt like joy all the time, would we not do it? If, if, if it felt amazing every time we lived this way, I think the world would be in a pretty good place. Yet in talking about this kind of life, this selfless, humble kind of life like Jesus, Paul keeps coming back again and again and again to joy and to rejoicing in his letter to the Philippians. Here's, here's a snapshot just from the first two chapters. I rejoice with you. You should rejoice with me. Welcome your friends back with great joy. That's in chapter 2. In 1, it was, I pray with joy for you. Despite some trying to stir up trouble, I rejoice. I'm for your progress and joy in the faith. It's joy, 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 joy. And it's easy to read the letter and think, okay, maybe what Paul's doing is that because they're having such a hard time and he's in prison and they're getting persecuted for their faith because that's the situation, maybe he's just trying to lift their spirits. Maybe all this talk about joy is just it's is trying to be a motivational speaker here. He's trying to to, to get him encouraged, just focus on the good things. I, I don't think that's what's going on. He's getting at the paradox of the gospel that in sacrifice and even in pain we find the greater thing. Now, speaking of Pain and, and, and suffering i got to be honest much of the time this is still most of the time this is still a mystery to me personally when, when life sucks what I experience like w- w- what I experience in that is that life sucks not that it's uh, uh, joyful and wonderful when, when stuff's happening that results in stress and tears and disappointment and heartbreak um, it's really difficult I don't have to tell you this is really difficult to look at the bigger picture and just experience the joy of the Lord because he's counted you worthy to suffer with him. I know that scripture, I believe that, but it's not easy to just have that mindset. I sat with someone this week, in fact I sat with multiple people this week, who who faced are facing multiple heartbreaks, experiences of suffering, all at the one time to do with family and people close to them. None of it's anyone's fault really, none of it seeming to have any purpose. And I'm not sure I have that many good answers to the question of suffering and evil. Sometimes I think I have good answers, usually when I'm not suffering or in pain. (laughs) And I get it, there are certainly some people who are much wiser and more learned and educated than I am, godlier people than me who have done great work on the whole question of suffering and evil and pain in the world, but there's still a lot of questions. That we probably just need to ask God one day, if we're honest. But I wonder if this whole experience of, of pain and suffering in the world is one reason, you know, the reality. Of, I wonder if the reality of suffering and evil is one reason why we struggle to take a chapter like Philippians two, that says, be humble and, and lay your life down for others and serve, have the mind of Christ. The, the reason we, we struggle to put it into practice. Because when life's tough, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I have much to give. When I feel like I'm not full of joy and life, because life's not going so well, um, to sacrifice, to lay down my life and my preferences and everything for others... It's not that easy. Now, I want to be Christ-like. I want to be selfless and humble. I want to be a servant. But what about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough. Now I want my share. Right? Can't you see? That's the feeling. What about me? If the selfless and christ life like really does lead to joy and contentment and rejoicing and peace and all that good kingdom of god stuff why does it feel like a burden that i just can't handle right now now i'm going to sort of leave that question hanging and not not try to answer it fully um and and, and encourage you to just to wrestle with that because we've got to wrestle with this stuff but what I want to share is this. I was sitting with the passage this week and started to consider maybe I'm reading it wrong. See, my initial assumption of, from reading what, what we've just read, my initial assumption, which is grounded, if I'm honest, in my own skewed view of God and who he really is and what he thinks about me, that he's a God who, who's sort of saying, you don't measure up and you need to do better. Because I, I can read it through that kind of lens, I read the passage and think that what Paul's saying is this: that this is what Jesus is like perfect, humble, selfless. You've got to be like that." And that's, that's true. like in part, like we, we are put the, this image of Jesus in front of us to go, this, "This is what we want to live into and live up to. But again, I don't don't know about you, but my feeling about that is I just do not match up to that standard and probably never will match up to that standard. But what if that's not primarily... I'm not saying it's not what Paul's saying, but what if that's not primarily what Paul's saying? It's not where he starts. It's not the main focus here. Let's read the passage again from the beginning of the chapter. If you have any... Encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort from whose love? His love. Not if you want to be blessed, if you want God to be proud of you, not even if you want to find joy and peace. The whole thing starts with if you have first experienced the selfless welcoming, sacrificial, pure love of Christ for yourself. If this has so transformed you that you now, next slide, experience a common sharing in the spirit, spirit and have this tenderness and compassion welling up within you, then, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. If you've received it from Jesus, go pass his love on to others. A few verses later, we get this, uh, what's known as the Christ hymn. We read that Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. His life given up for us. And I, again, with my skewed view of God as this displeased father wishing I'd match up to Jesus, can tend to read this and think, gee whiz, If that's the standard, I've got a lot of work to do. And yes, Christ is the standard. And yes, we're being sanctified and being made more like him and and more like him. But what if Paul's main point is not to tell us first and foremost what we've got to be like, but rather to show us first what Jesus is like and ensure we're first embracing that perfect love. Because only when we receive it can we give it. Paul's saying this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's like. The perfect image of who God is. And once you've experienced that for yourself, now go changed by his love and do likewise. Now, should these scriptures challenge us? Yes, absolutely. Should, should, should they reveal the immense gap between you know, Jesus and, and us and, and bring us to our knees in repentance Absolutely. But repentance and faith isn't about turning away from our brokenness and sin towards drive and motivation and resolving to do better. That's not true repentance. That's, that's shame-driven religion that often gets passed off as repentance. you just got to do better. you just got to do... It's about turning to Jesus and welcoming his embrace and then healed and set free of condemnation by the one who laid his life down for us, we're renewed and re-enabled to go and do the same for others. That's the gospel. There's, um, there's a lot in the accounts of Jesus' life. There's a lot about what Jesus did a lot in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. There's a lot about what he has done, what he did do, what he is doing and what he's going to do. Lots of stuff in the Gospels that hints at the nature of Jesus, his very heart, who he really is. But believe it or not, I was just uh, um, made aware of this recently in a book I started reading. There's only one verse in all the Gospels where Jesus actually states and says the the nature of his heart. Now, in the the Hebrew mindset, in, in, in that time, the heart was reflective of the, the person, the very essence and nature of who they really are, right? So um, if, you, if someone says, this is the heart of the person, that's, that's them. That's who they really are, their nature, their very being. And Jesus only talks about his heart in one scripture. Paul speaks plenty of what Jesus did. As a result of his heart, right? he gave up his life. He took the form of a servant. We can kind of work out from the things Jesus does what his heart is. But here's here's the one time Jesus says it um, explicitly. This is my heart. Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, or some translations say lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart. But one time Jesus says, this, this is my heart. Not this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. And these words describing Jesus' heart are about, um, if, if you look into the Hebrew of the, of the words gentle and humble and lowly, um, It's about his willingness to come down to our level. To be humbled, if you like. To take a low position. To serve others as if they are better than him. To sacrifice for the good of another. It's who Jesus is. Paul tells us plenty that that's what he did. Jesus himself tells us that that's who he is. He loves you. He'll do anything for you. But ultimately, he chooses to do only what he knows is best for you and I. He's like a parent who disciplines their children, not out of anger or frustration, but out of a deeper love and understanding for their long-term well-being. That's the nature, the heart of Jesus and of our great God, our Heavenly Father. Jesus is for our joy. Do we trust that his love for us is is indeed the most perfect and pure and selfless and radical love? Even when sometimes in the immediate it feels painful. How he's loving us and how he's calling us to love others. Do we trust that his love is perfect? And are we allowing ourselves to be transformed by that love? To, to let him reveal his heart to us? To, to, to therefore um, find what we need in him to go out and love like him? I think there's essentially two ways we do this, and I'll just finish with this this morning. There's two ways that we say that, that we find the true heart of Jesus for us. Firstly, we do what we've done today. We look at the scriptures, which help to set our perspective right again about the true nature of God. Not just, hopefully, not just in church on Sunday, but each day of our lives. We let the Bible reveal who God really is and our right response to him. How's your quiet time? How's your prayer time? Your, your, your time in his word recently? I know mine recently has been too sporadic and it's, and, and, doesn't seem to make much difference one, uh, one day to the next, but then you uh, begin to feel, you know what, I'm not, I'm not fixed on Jesus' heart and I'm losing sight of that. I have to come back to that. A friend of mine recently reminded uh, me that we become like what we gaze upon. We become like what we gaze upon. Are we gazing on God? Or is there a lot of gazing on this? Because we sort of become like everything we see on here. Are we gazing on God in his word, revealed to, where he's revealed to us? But the point of this message is, is not um, just sort of retreat into a life of prayer and solitude until you feel loved enough by God to then go out. It's, it's not just about that. Often God meets us as we read a passage like Philippians and the kind of love we're called to. God meets us in the process of going and doing what he asks. We need to retreat sometimes and go, God, I need to be reminded of your love. We need to do that daily, in fact. But it's also about living it out and God meeting us in that process. Forgive others, and he will meet you there. His love will meet you there. Serve, and he will meet you there. Stop grumbling and treat others as greater than yourselves and all the things in Philippians 2 and, and you will experience the servant heart of Jesus in that place. If you have any encouragement from being united with him, Paul says. Not if you have all the encouragement and it's, you feel like I've, I've got as much as I could possibly need. If you have any encouragement from being united with him, if you have any comfort from his love, go and extend that. If you don't have any, then first go there. If you have depleted, I need to experience your love again. Go, we go to him. We do that each day. We do that in community. But if you have any encouragement from being united with him, any comfort from his love, give thanks for that and then extend that love that you've received from Jesus. Don't do it out of a, I need to please God, but out of a gratitude response. And he will meet you there and reveal it to us even more. Father, I just thank you that um, passages like this in the scriptures are not hard to understand. They're not complicated and difficult to get our heads around. There's no question as to whether they produce the kind of world the kind of church that you long for, Jesus. But Father, would you help us to know that we do this out of a response to the love you've first shown to us. We love because you first loved us, Lord God. And so I pray even this morning as we sing and as we worship and as we fix our attention on you, that we would be refilled with your perfect and selfless love that we would be reminded as we gaze on you our Heavenly Father of who you really are and your heart towards us and that this would allow us to be reflectors and conduits of your love to others Father when we don't feel like we have what it takes to forgive or to lay our lives down or to release a grudge Remind us that uh, nobody wins in these situations. That it's when we fix our eyes on the common goal, which is you, Lord Jesus, and we, we walk towards you, that we find joy and that others find joy in that process. Jesus, we just thank you this morning that this is who you are. You are the God who released status and privilege to come and be one of us, to die as one of us, for us, for our sins. That because of your sacrifice, we would find life in the arms of our Heavenly Father. We thank you for that this morning. We praise you for that this morning. You are worthy of all of our worship This morning, and we give that to you in prayer, in song, in our fellowship, in our time here in this place. In Jesus' name.